the full court presses on. Ross at the top of the key. He's got a three down the middle. Yes, yeah. Ronnie Ross makes it with 4.8 to go. The 1-1. One, one. There it goes. There it goes. Number 70 for Bob. Interviews, highlights, and all the sports news of the day. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Tyson. And now your host of the full court press, Scott Gerrard and John Newbold. And welcome to the Full Court Press here on News Talk 610 KBNU. I'm Scott Gerard. Now tonight we take a break from the routine interviews and discussion that normally takes place here on the Full Court Press. And instead we take a look back several years. 38 years to be exact. On February 8, 1965, Wayne Estes, an All-American basketball player at Utah State University, was killed as he attempted to assist those that had just been in an auto accident in Logan. Just hours prior to his passing, Wayne had scored 52 points against the University of Denver, setting a school record, as well as putting him over the 2,000-point mark for his career. Ten years later, on February 11, 1975, KBNU's very own Al Lewis, now current voice of the Aggies, put together a special broadcast to commemorate the life of Wayne Estes. Tonight, here on the Full Court Press, we replay that same show, which, if you do the math, took place 28 years ago. We do apologize for some of the quality of this tape, but after all, it is 28 years old. So listen close, and for those that remember seeing Wayne play, sit back and let the memories flow. And for those of us who only know Wayne Estes as a legendary name in the record books, here's an insight to one of the greatest athletes ever to play at Utah State. We now join Al Lewis's special edition of Sports Talk as it was broadcast 28 years ago, right here on News Talk 610 KVNU. February 8, 1965. It's Utah State hosting Denver in George Nelson Fieldhouse. The Aggies have lost six straight games coming into this one. But USU is finally ready to win again. On the floor for the Ags are Clarence Jones, Hal Hale, Steve Jones, Pete Enega, and Wayne Estes. Less than five minutes remain and the Aggies lead 80-49. to The big story is USU senior Wayne Estes. The big Husky 6-6 forward has just broken Max Perry's fieldhouse scoring record with his 46th point of the game. Estes is just one point away from becoming the 18th college player in history to score 2,000 points in a career. We pick up the play-by-play with Reed Andreessen. Truly a great All-American, and really, truly a great guy. A self-made player who made it to the top, and then just as quickly, he was gone on that same night. It's a special show tonight. We ask that no phone calls be made, please. 
Just sit back and listen and remember as we play our special tribute honoring Wayne Estes, who played that the greatest game of his life and then was tragically killed 10 years ago last Saturday night. We begin Wayne's story right after this. You're listening to Full Court Press here on News Talk 610 KVNU. We continue on with Al Lewis's special broadcast commemorating the 10th anniversary of the passing of Wayne Estes. This program was first aired February 11, 1975. We do apologize for the quality of this tape, but after all, it is 28 years old. So sit back and learn more about one of the greatest athletes ever to play here at Utah State. And now, here's Al Lewis. Wayne Estes was born to Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Estes on May 13, 1943. He grew up in Anaconda, Montana, a place known, of course, for mining. Through school and into high school, Wayne was always a big kid. In fact, when a senior in high school, he weighed 250 pounds. His best sports seemed to be football and track. In fact, he set a couple of records in track. And he really wasn't heavily recruited for basketball, but Coach Liddell Anderson had heard about that special shooting touch. No, he wasn't heavily recruited. Uh, people knew about him. He was an excellent athlete up there in Montana Anaconda. In that particular year, he was, uh, he, I think he was all-state football, and he broke a couple of records in track, and a shot put in a disc, as I remember. But Nog Hansen and I went on a recruiting trip up there, and we started in Missoula and went kind of across the state and ended up in Bozeman. But on the way through, we, had, of course, had heard about Wayne Estes, and so we stopped to visit with him. And at that time, of course, he weighed about 250 pounds. And uh, we talked him into coming down. We felt that... Uh, uh, we needed a center and uh, forward, which, which every played. He was, uh, we knew that he probably had to lose some weight, but we offered him a full-ride scholarship. And I think we were one of two schools that offered him full rides that time. Montana, only one of the Montana schools offered him, and I don't think anyone else did. Uh, of course, we were the lucky ones. But he was not one of the most sought-after players in the Intermountain area. In fact, he was one of the least. And most people felt that he could play some football, maybe do some track work. But his chances were, uh, well, slim in basketball at, at best, you know. So Estes came to Utah State University, and he knew he could play for the Aggies. Most basketball people knew of this dedication, but they felt that other things would work against Wayne Estes to make him just an average player. Did Coach Liddell Anderson ever expect the greatness that Estes eventually achieved? Oh, no. Heavens, no. I thought, you know, if, if he could be a, a good journeyman type of player, that uh, it would be good. Of course, he was an excellent kid and a great competitive, mentally tough athlete. I guess the story goes that in intramurals, he was by far the toughest kid in school. He could beat anybody in a fist fight. You know, had those quick hands, and then he had that 235 pounds to back it up. <laughs> so he was that. But 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 you know, who knew that he was going to be the second leading scorer in the country, and who knew that he'd be a great rebounder, and lead us to two NCAA tournaments in three years. And uh, you know, you you don't anticipate that on under anyone. You know, you see guys like Ed Gray got here, you know, you, you can't envision him developing as much as he has this year. And now he becomes a real accomplished center. He's, he's, a, he's a really a good player. Well, Estes got that, and then he then went beyond that and did this, and then he may have broke another record. I think he holds 18 records right today, 10 years later. So it was quite an accomplishment, I think. You know, but Big Wayne deserved everything he got because this guy just never quit practicing. That's the truth. 
He'd work and work on every phase of the game. He was just so dedicated. In fact, he was a self-made player. He worked out every day, and he was like one of you've heard about these players, the first one to practice and the last one to leave. Well, he was that time, and he developed every shot there was, and probably he still stands now as being the best variety shooter that I've ever seen in pro or college because he could shoot the set shots from way out there at, at 25 to 27 feet, and I mean shoot with anyone. And he could shoot the jump shot at uh, where Jimmy Moore shoots, you know, 15 foot, and hit that accurately. And that's saying something. And then, of course, he had the great baseline hook shot. And cross the key, he'd shoot that hook shot. And then uh, very powerful around the basket. And even though he wasn't fast of foot, he had very quick hands and very strong hands. And uh, he developed a lot. I think that uh, he, you would consider him kind of a self-made guy. We, of course, tried to help him in, in different drills and so on. Uh, of course, encouraged him to lose weight and then put him in the place where he could score best. And this is what we tried to do as coaches. F. Sorensen, of course, coached him as a freshman, and uh, he began to develop at that point in time. And then he just... His next year, sophomore year, the first game we played at Ohio State, we started him. And, of course, he started every game after that. He scored 10 points in that game. I'll never forget it. And we played him right down the wire and finally lost. Uh, later, we beat them when they were the Big Ten champs. But anyway, that game he started out, and he ended up averaging 20 points a game that year. The next year, he averaged 28, and the following year, he averaged 33-7, which was second best in the next to Derek Berry. So he just kind of kept improving, but his one real big goal was to lead the nation in free throw percentage shooting. Now, that's very difficult. You've got to shoot about 90%. So, but he promised as he went home that summer that he would shoot at least 25 free throws every day using his method, which was take five or six seconds on every shot, use the same same type of release, the same type of concentration, the same type of re relaxation. And uh, one time he made 167 straight, uh, you know, over a period of days. And then, of course, in regular season, he made 42 straight, I think it was. And he was third in the nation when he was killed. And he had seven games left, and he was just a percentage point behind. I think he might have won it. But uh, he, was, he was just terrific under pressure. Where he was the greatest is something really you don't coach, and that's when it goes down the wire and you're one down or the score's tied, I don't know how many times, seven or eight times, he scored baskets or free throws that won the game. And uh, this, I think, was a mark of an All-American, which he was in uh, every pick in the country that year. So Estes won over the press, and he won over the Aggie fans in his two and three-quarter seasons here in Logan. He went out and scored an average of 20 points his sophomore season, up that up to 28.3 in his junior year, and both of those seasons ended with USU in NCAA play. But that senior season was the most successful one for Wayne, even though it wasn't one for the USU team. The 1964-65 Utah State season began with a flourish. They began with five straight games at home, and quickly the Aggies were 5-0. and zero. Wayne Estes was just as spectacular with a 34.8 average up to that point near the top of the country. Up next for USU was a tough road trip to the Midwest. They lost to Bradley in Minnesota, but it was a good trip for Wayne. Against the top competition, he scored 28 and 27 points. Then after another home victory, USU went on the road right during the heart of the holiday season. 
The Yankees lost to San Francisco, and Wade had his worst game of that shortened senior season, just 19 points. Then off to Hawaii in the Rainbow Classic. The Yankees lost two of three, but against Boston College, Estes scored that amazing 52-point game, which still stands as the best in Aggie history. USU lost that game 120 to 118, perhaps the wildest one in history. Bob Cousy was the coach of the Boston College team, and he called Wayne the best college player he'd seen in a long time. Wayne always wanted to beat Utah at Salt Lake City, so maybe the biggest game in Wayne's career, to himself at least, was the next one, when the Yags beat the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and Estes scored 32 points. At that point of the season, Wayne's average was 32.8, still second best in the country. The Ags were now 8-4. But from there on down, it was a little bit downhill. The Aggies then lost six straight games, some close ones, but still it was six straight defeats. In the meantime, Estes continued his fantastic, consistent scoring, over 30 points a game, even while the Aggies were losing. Reed Andreessen had joined USU as their announcer that year, and I asked him what he felt about Wayne and how it was to travel with the big guy. Well, Wayne was always, it seemed like, uh, Alan, the leader of the group, wherever you went. Wayne kind of stood out primarily because of his size. Uh, a lot of people probably remember Wayne as Baby Huey to all of his close friends. Not that I was a close friend. I think one of Wayne's closest friends was the man who actually gave him that nickname, and that was Mike Carlisle, you may well remember. And uh, it just seemed like everywhere he went, Wayne kind of stood out. He had... Uh, or something about him, you know, that you wanted to, to associate with him. Uh, the other members of the team were, were likable fellows as well, but not quite like Wayne. Wayne was always, I think you will remember, he was always willing to give time to the kids after the ball game to sign his autograph, to talk with people, uh, to give pointers on playing basketball easily coached. Uh, the coaches all liked him. Uh, even uh, when we went to other uh, arenas to play, I'll never forget uh, out of San Francisco, uh, down at Arizona State, several of the road trips. Uh, Wayne was always talking at times with other members of the coaching staff. Uh, and I think this was the way Wayne was. He wanted to perfect himself to the point that he desired, I guess, and I guess that's what brought him to the, to the pinnacle of his success and makes us remember him the way he was. In going back uh, over traveling with Wayne, I'll, I'll probably well remember most uh, the trip to Texas Western because it was on that particular trip that we went down to Juarez, Mexico, and we went out uh, to a place that night and had dinner, and I believe it was uh, Coach Anderson and Coach Sorensen and myself and uh, several of the other ball players. and that night we saw this lady that uh, starred in one of the Broadway musicals and then a Spanish dance team. And I remember that uh, they were trying to get Wayne up there to dance with them. You know, he was always trying to get in and be a part of the crowd. But Wayne was fun to be with, always a gentleman. Uh, he'd recognize you all the time. He always knew you. He'd always say hello. 
and always go out of his way. That's summarily, I believe, the best part about remembering Wayne. The next game on the schedule, of course, was Denver at Logan. I asked Reed what he remembered about that fantastic game in Nelson Fieldhouse. Well, you know, uh, Harvey Kirkpatrick used to uh, sit right by me, and at that time we used to sit there by the scores table. So we all had a pretty good uh, idea of how many points everybody had. And when uh, Wayne started getting the points up there, I believe it was about 38, naturally we started looking at records. And, and it was a very slow ball game because we were really wiping Denver right off the court, you might say. And, and a, a slow ball game or a lopsided ball game is one of the most difficult to broadcast anyway because they are so dead at times. So you need something then to bring it to life. And in this particular instance, it was Wayne's scoring output that did it. Of course, the other ball players were feeding him. And once you uh, get the word of mouth out that uh, there's a potential here for setting a record, and the ball players then pick it up and they say, "Well, feed him," you know, feeding the ball. And it, and it just seemed like Wayne couldn't miss. It seemed like every time he got the ball, whether it was a fallaway jumper from the corner, like uh, he eventually scored his 2,000 uh, point on, or or from the free throw line where he had a very high percentage. Uh, they just all went through. Phenomenal, but uh, I don't know. I never really thought too much about it, of course, at the time. You know, it was something that I found hard to believe. Actually, I believe I remember more about the Denver game the, the following week when we had to go out there without him than I remember the night we played up here at Nelson Fieldhouse. You're listening to a special edition of the Full Court Press here on News Talk 610 KVNU. We'll have more of Al Lewis's special broadcast, including more details and more interviews from that fateful night of February 8, 1965. Coming up next, here on the Full Court Press on KVNU. You're listening to the Full Court Press here on News Talk 610 KVNU. We continue on with Al Lewis's special broadcast commemorating the 10th anniversary of the passing of Wayne Estes. This program was first aired February 11, 1975. We do apologize for the quality of this tape, but after all, it is 28 years old. So sit back and learn more about one of the greatest athletes ever to play here at Utah State. And now, here's Al Lewis. You know, the night of February 8, 1965 contains many stories. Many have called it maybe a weird night in Aggie sports history. We went to Coach Liddell Anderson to find out if there was anything you might call different about that night, even before the game or during the game. Well, uh, what uh, what actually happened last, uh, that night was kind of weird. Uh, in that he did start off poorly. You know, in the first five minutes, he hadn't scored, and he'd missed two shots very badly. Now, Wayne Estes did not miss shots badly. He might miss. Obviously, he missed. He didn't shoot 100%. <laughs> But, but he was always close when he missed. I mean, he'd shoot shots to look good when he missed. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's hard to do. But this night he came over and he said, uh, he said his arms were numb. He had no feeling in them. And I said, well, going out, we need you badly. We lost two or three real tough games, close yeah. ones. And, and we had lost six straight. And we, we were kind of a slow team that year. We, were not, we did not have great quickness. But we were hanging in there pretty well. But anyway... Uh, I says, go on out, do the best you can. We'll have the doctor look at you at the half. Well, from that time on, he went out and made 24 the first half, hardly missing a shot. At the half, I noticed the guys were kind of snickering, and uh, 
uh, went in and we were all kind of laughing, boy, would I like to have our arms, my arms that numb and so on, you know, kind of needling him a little bit. He says, that's all right, it's still numb. He said after the game in the second half, he went out and made uh, all 24 points. And then I took him out with fifth, five, five minutes to go and he came out and he says, well, I was putting it up, but somebody else was putting it in for me. And this is kind of weird, you know, when two hours later he was dead man and uh, this uh, is kind of touching. As the people left George Nelson Fieldhouse that night of February 8th, everyone was excited about Wayne's records. And no one really expected what happened less than two hours later. The westbound Ford Falcon went out of control as it traveled down 4th North that night. As it reached the divider at 7th East, it struck a Pontiac that was stopped waiting to come on to 4th North. After hitting the Pontiac, the Falcon then slammed into a utility pole, bending it westward. One wire going across the street was snapped, and the bent pole allowed the rest to sag down within six feet, six inches of the ground. Wayne Estes, his roommate Delano Lyons, and two other, Mike Murray and John Vassie, were going home after a post-game pizza. The four stopped at the accident scene to see if they could help. None of the four noticed the wire as they went to the wrecked vehicle, but coming back to their car, Delano called out to Wayne to watch the wire. As he said this, he reached back for Wayne, and as he did so, a bolt of electricity hit him and knocked him halfway across the middle of the street. Delano recovered, came back to the scene, and kicked the wire off of Wayne Estes. But of course, by this time, it was too late. Police and ambulance personnel tried to revive him, but the Aggie great was dead. Coach Liddell Anderson tells us about how he remembers the death. I think probably is the toughest thing that ever happened to our family. I mean, you know, it was the most traumatic experience by far. I, I walked onto the scene of the accident, you know, quite by accident. Just walked, just thought we'd go up and see what was happening, and we got up there and found that he had been electrocuted, and they were trying to bring him back to life, but couldn't... Uh, couldn't do it, of course. He was dead, but that was uh, that was really an empty feeling. And I, I really, I think it took me a couple of years to get over it. I don't think I was a very good coach, very effective coach during the next two years. Uh, uh, came back and got to got things together, but it kind of took the spirit out of me personally. And I think a lot of people around the area, you know, it's just tough tough to get over with. It really was a a community feeling. Uh, I know when I heard about it, that you went to school and little kids who hardly even knew the name were still crying. Everybody had the same feeling, didn't they, around the whole valley? Yes, he was, of course, very great with kids. He was a, he was a great leader among uh, youth. You know, you'd see him tagging around the campus. He'd go to Edith Bowen School, Lois Downs, of course, was one of his favorites, and she'd take him over there, and they'd have different projects that has to do with kids, and uh, they just loved him. In fact, they, I think, got monies together and bought a wreath and so on. And, and uh, I think they uh, donated to the scholarship fund that he had. And uh, it was such a great feeling. He'd always sit down and answer letters to little kids yeah. that write him. Not just one-liners, but, but, I mean, you know, like two or three paragraph letters and encouragements to, to young kids. And he was an inspiration to them. And this is the type of guy he was. He was... Very easy to get along with. Always had a good attitude. Uh, you know, a fighting heart. He was a tremendous competitor, you know. But yet, a very much a gentleman off the field, and uh, or off the court, I should say. So it was, uh, he's one of the truly great All-American people that I've ever met, as well as being a great basketball player. 
Now, Reed Andreessen, of course, was with the radio station at that time, besides being the Aggie announcer. He recounts how he found out about the electrocution and then the day that followed. As I go back to that night, this was sort of a double jolt to me because my father-in-law had just been buried that day. And he was a great fan of Wayne's. And uh, that night after the ball game, it was snowing, I remember. And you know from broadcasting the ball games, you're always generally one of the last to leave the arena. Uh, we come down off the hill, and I guess the accident happened after we had left because, as I understand, Wayne and, and some of his roommates had gone back to their room prior to going downtown when the accident occurred. But uh, I hadn't been home, home maybe 15, 20 minutes, and Bill McMurdy called. And he says, hey, Reed, he says, have you heard that Wayne got killed? And I says, no, it's impossible. I said, I just left him and the guys. He said, I just heard he'd been electrocuted in an automobile accident. And what do you say? You know, you're too shocked. And I couldn't believe it. And then I believe the word was also that Delano Lyons had been killed. And uh, Wayne and Delano were very close friends, as most people know. And so uh, I really didn't know what the story was, so I immediately called the radio station, and they said, yes, the word had come in that there had been an accident. And they were trying at that time, though, to uh, reach naturally his family and other people before any official news was broadcast because Wayne's parents were planning on coming down later on and so that's how I officially got the word and I remember it was quite late at night before everything finally settled down and a lot of people quit calling and we got to bed and then the next morning uh, out at the radio station I always worked the early shift and a lot of uh, other radio stations uh, magazines, television stations, newspapers started calling uh, primarily to talk to me to get my reaction, whereas I had been the Aggie sportscaster that called the last game. And, uh, of course, I was just shocked. It's hard to recount, you know, some of these things right at the moment. But uh, that's primarily, I guess, most of what I remember. And then uh, Wallace Parrish... His boy, Allen, was, of course, playing on the team. Uh, he had taped the game the night before and also the post-game show, and it just so happened that I had interviewed Wayne on the post-game show. Generally, on the post-game show, we always interviewed one of the ball players. And that particular night, it happened to be Wayne, and uh, he had told me how his arms were numb that night before he started playing. And then I'll never forget when I asked him about his parents coming down for the last game of the season that year, the way he answered me was uh, quite odd, as I remember the tone of his voice. There was something wrong there. I don't know what it was. It was almost as if he was sad about uh, his folks coming down and the reason they would be coming down for the last game. And, of course, as you know, they did come down, and there were many awards presented to them in Wayne's behalf in... Uh, what is it you say after a person's died? They're given to them posthumously. And that's about all that I can remember, Alan. You're listening to a special edition of the Full Court Press here on News Talk 610 KVNU, replaying Al Lewis's special broadcast from February 11th, 1975, commemorating the 10th anniversary of the passing of Wayne Estes. Coming up next, we'll play that interview with Reed Andreessen and Wayne Estes just moments after that game with the University of Denver and just hours before his death. Here on News Talk 610 KVNU.
You're listening to the Full Court Press here on News Talk 610 KVNU. We continue on with Al Lewis's special broadcast commemorating the 10th anniversary of the passing of Wayne Estes. This program was first aired February 11, 1975. We do apologize for the quality of this tape, but after all, it is 28 years old. So sit back and learn more about one of the greatest athletes ever to play here at Utah State. And now, here's Al Lewis. And now that final interview, Reed and Wayne on the night of February 8, 1965. You can decide for yourself if Wayne knew what was coming. Wayne, I know you've already been congratulated by many, but I want to extend my uh, congratulations to a, a great effort. And I know this makes you feel wonderful to know that you've not only broken a field house record, but reached that 2,000 mark. Thanks, Reed. Uh, about the greatest thing I've ever had, I think. Not just breaking the record, but just to know that all the team is behind me. I know if it wasn't for them, I would have never got the shot they did get. I'm just really proud know that they were behind me, and also all the people. just about the greatest thing I've ever had. Well, you've certainly drawn the adulation of the fans here in Elton Fieldhouse tonight. And uh, talking with Coach Anderson here a few moments ago, he said when you started the ball game, you had no arms here. I'd like to see you with no arms all the time, boy. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I, well, my arms are still numb. I, I don't know where it is. I started off the game. Uh, as you know, I missed the whole basket, I think, about three times. And I said, oh, oh this is going to be a bad night. And then... Uh, I just kind of forgot all about it, and uh, during the whole game, my arms felt the same way, but it was just someone was just going in, <laughs> someone weren't. Wayne, a lot of your shots tonight were from the right side on the baseline. Is this one of your favorite shots? Well, it is. I do practice this shot most, mostly, I think, during practice. Although I haven't been getting a lot of these shots during the ball games, I think this game, I've, this is about the most shots I've ever taken from the baseline, I think, during this game. I thought so tonight, too, and you were hitting them real well. You had 24 at the halftime, and then you came back, and it was really a pleasure for everyone in the field house to be here, I'm sure, to watch you do this. Uh, you not only broke a great record, but I'm sure you're looking forward to possibly breaking a few others here before your career's over, isn't it? Well, uh, are there any others to break? I wonder if there is. <laughs> we better look for them if there are. <laughs> Wayne, uh, I understand that your folks will be coming down to witness the last game that you'll be playing here in George Nelson Fieldhouse. Let's see, that's about six games away, isn't it? Yes, they'll be coming down for the last game. What's your feelings as the season starts drawing to a close regarding and looking over the past season and things of this nature as you uh, attempt to leave Utah State and proceed on life's way, you might say? Well, uh, I'd like to have a few more seasons to play. I- we had a little tough luck this season so far, and I just wish, well, I wish we could have won more ball games, but I just wish I had about two more seasons to play. What's your plans now as you uh, get ready to graduate? Uh, have you had any pro offers, or uh, what would the pro ranks really do with a guy your size? Would they put you in there on a forward line or make a guard out of you? Think you could play guard? That's what I'm worried about, Reed. I don't, I don't know where they're going to put me if they do. I've uh, had a few feelers so far, and... Uh, I had a chance to talk to the Lakers coach, Los Angeles Lakers, and he told me that I had a pretty good chance of playing, so uh, I'll just have to play by air, I guess. Right. Well, Wayne, I'd certainly like to see you playing a lot of games, and uh, everywhere you go, I'll tell you one thing, after you leave Utah State, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fans that's going to follow your career, and we want to wish you a lot of luck, and thanks for coming up. Thank you. Thank you. you bet. Wayne Estes, man. That's the final words from Wayne Estes on that night of February 8, 1965. Of course, the stories have been repeated many times, and they began right after Wayne's death that night. Many people indicate that Estes knew of his coming death. He bought an insurance policy and supposedly asked if it covered electrocution. 
Coach Anderson tells us if he felt like Wayne ever hinted that he knew what was coming. Uh, well, you know, not about him hinting. I think that, uh, well, one thing that happened, he came in and talked to me about insurance. And I says, Wayne, you don't need insurance. Uh, I says, I do because I have children and so on. I says, wait till you get out of school and you've got maybe a wife and a family. And I says, I can get some insurance. He says, no, coach. He says, some way how I reason I know that I need some insurance. And uh, so I says, fine, go ahead. Well, I don't know whether that meant that he had a feeling. But I know that he got a $10,000 insurance policy with triple indemnity. So, uh, you know, who knows uh, what goes on there. But uh, he did, I think he paid one premium on it. And, uh, of course, his folks, which, uh, uh, of course, he was very close to his parents, you know, and, and Ronnie's young brother, they were the beneficiaries. But this is the one thing, one thing that did happen. He did pick up that insurance policy. All of us here in Cache Valley felt like we knew this big, lovable player. When Wayne died, Cache Valley stopped for a few days as all of us cried at the shock. Now, ten years later, we can recall the tragic, but more and more we remember the excellence of his play and the greatness of his personality. Wayne Estes was a huge man in heart, besides body. A legend that will stay with us forever. Well, you know, I just, you're so involved in the basketball end of it, that sometimes you, you forget about the, the personal qualities. But as I look back, you know, I look at the things that I remember, the things that made him a great player on the court, which was the, were the same things that made him a great individual off the court, you know. Uh, he was just picking out one thing. I, I guess I couldn't pick out any just one overshadowing thing, except uh, he loved people. He loved his parents. Uh, he loved athletics a lot, and he he dedicated. I think probably the biggest thing is I think now is his great dedication to whatever he tried to do. Because with his particular physical stature, he had to be dedicated in order to accomplish what he accomplished. Special thanks tonight to Coach Liddell Anderson, to Reed Andreasen, and also to Wallace Parrish for the fine tapes of the game that he provided to me. I'm Alan Lewis. This has been Sports Talk, brought to you by Stan Allen, your State Farm Insurance agent, and Northern Propane, the home of Polaris Snowmobiles. We'll see you next Tuesday night at 6.05. You've been listening to a special edition of the Full Court Press here on Newstalk 610 KVNU, where we've replayed Al Lewis's Sports Talk show from February 11, 1975, in which he commemorated the 10th anniversary of the passing of Wayne Estes. We'd like to thank Al Lewis for letting us take a look back at his early years in broadcasting, as well as Vic Saunders, who provided us with a copy of the tape of this show.